Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Well, we're going to talk about something that's kind of been uh, stirring in my heart for a little bit. Um, and so before we do, let's just pray. As we pray for our food before we eat it, let's just draw up to the table of the Lord and let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you're so faithful to give us what we need. We're so thankful that your word is living. (laughs) And when we eat it, it gives life and light to us. It alters our thinking and it changes us and transforms our souls. And your word says that it even heals our bodies. And so I declare that people that are hearing the word of God, that healing is happening in bodies even while the word is being ministered. Father, I trust the person of the Holy Spirit, the great teacher of the church, the great revealer of Jesus. I trust you, Holy Spirit, to make the words clear and simple and doable. That when we leave here, that we will not have just heard, but we will have a tool to do. And in the doing of your word, we are blessed. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, well, we're going to talk today about uh, serious weapons. Serious weapons. Some years ago, and this was um, actually quite a few years ago, I was ministering in um, Sweden with a friend. And then after we were were in Sweden, we went down to France and um, had some meetings there. And in Paris, you know, there's just a heap of things you can see, so many different things to see well. One of the things that we chose to see was actually the museum uh, that is in honor of veterans. And these guys went to Green Slopes this, uh, yesterday, actually, where there are veterans and care of veterans. But uh, Napoleon, of course, a great commander and, and did many, many military campaigns and had vast armies, provided uh, um, amazing health care for his troops or he, uh, a hospital for his troops. And so uh, this used to be a hospital back in Napoleon's day, but now if you go to Paris and go to this same place, it's called the Museum of Invalids. Of course, you would say it a little bit different, but invalids are invalids. And so they have made it actually a war museum. And, uh, and so, for some reason, it was very interesting to my friend and I. We wanted to go and visit this museum. Well, it's massive. And the museum is for the purpose of displaying uh, weaponry and artillery and armor of war since ever. And so, when you come in, you start in, in the beginning of... of um, their collection where these things are concerned, these artifacts are concerned, and um, with like a a club with a stone on it. 
and, uh, and knives, very, very crude weapons. And so then you could see over a progression of time that it, things began to develop. And it came into one of the interesting time in my, you know, in my opinion, I, I find that the time of the armor and the javelin and all of that seems a bit romantic now when you look at it, it was barbaric and it was a horrible way of fighting. But, uh, but anyway, you came into a part of the museum where there were all of these on display. And the humans back in that time, I found, were real shrimps. They were really <laughs> short people. Uh, we must have eaten better over the years or something. We all grew. Anyway, but the, the armor for these people was, I found, very interesting. A lot of them were engraved. The breastplate was engraved. The helmet was engraved. Uh, and some of them even had jewels embedded in them. Uh, you know, there was armor and weapon, uh, armor for the feet, and then all kinds of weaponry for that particular day and time. And then the, the, the helmets, of course, and how in the world could they look through these little slats? Could you not have claustrophobia in that thing? And what would you do if you did? Have to just leave it on. And we think we didn't like masks during that this time. Think about having to wear one of those clunky helmets on. Oh, it was awful. But some of them were really quite ornate and beautiful. One of my favorite and most fascinating pieces for me was um, this piece of armor that uh, the, the person, the soldier, would actually get onto his horse, and then there was an apparatus that would lower the armor down onto him, and it not only fit over him, but one molten piece fit over his horse, too. What happened if somebody take your horse out? You're down for the count. <laughs> There's no way. No way. Oh, my goodness. You're so... Uh, yeah, anyway, that was just so fascinating. And so, but if you keep going then through the... As uh, you pass through the rooms, then... Uh, and Anna and I went, I believe, to that same museum. And uh, we went... As you go through the museum, you can see how through time then the weapons began to change. And they, they developed more from uh, uh, weapons that have to be uh, dealt with muscle to actually, you know, like a gun instead of just a knife or a javelin or a spear. And then that developed into more sophisticated weaponry, uh, which developed into more and more and more and more until we come up to today, and you can do a whole lot more damage and hurt a, you know, make a great big um, impact with just the touch of a button. And so, so much is has changed over a period of time. My goodness, how many things have changed until now? Games that we play, and sometimes for hours play. Um, have weaponized children, <laughs> and they are so clever with their eye and finger uh, coordination uh, to be able to use weapons on a screen and in a game 
to take out all kind of things. And so weapons really, uh, I think in our context, except for those that are going to like Afghanistan or someplace else, has become a game and something that we, we do. However, life is not such a game. Um, there is someone who you cannot see, cannot be identified in a political party, which does not stand at the head of any nation or any government, but there is something that is pulling the strings for crime. What stands behind? What is the inspiration? What is the provoker or agitator of crime and the waves of it? Something and someone who cannot be seen, crime. Modernism that ends up denying the truth of the word of God. Who stands behind that? Who is it that stands behind the denial of creation and teaching evolution. Who stands behind something that denies the supernatural power of God and strips him of this characteristic and ability of doing powerful, powerful things that we sang about today? Denying God of his healing of diseases. How many in this room has ever been healed of something, even minor? Wave your hand if you're just thankful. Aren't you thankful that that didn't spoil, (laughs) didn't get to you and keep you from receiving your healing? Praise God. Who is it that stands behind a spirit of bondage or who is it that stands behind a spirit of darkness? The Bible calls this one that cannot be seen the God of this world the God of this world, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Before Tony and I married, there was a period of time I lived by myself. I actually had 19 roommates because uh, everybody kept getting married but me, so I kept on having more roommates. And um, he delivered me from roommates. <laughs> Be forever grateful. But anyway... Um, But there was a period of time I lived by myself, and during this time, um, there was, you know, there was somebody who was breaking into home and and violating people in the house, and da-da-da-da-da, that that was going on. Well, there was a a young man from my dad's home, my dad's church, and he had moved to Tulsa, too, to go to, to Bible school. And uh, he had been raised on a farm, and he said, I tell you what, you need a gun, so, uh, so you know, every American needs a gun. <laughs> so, but anyway, I, th- that's supposed to be a joke, okay? <laughs> so he told me, he said, you need a gun. Uh, so he gave me a little pistol, and I put it up in my closet. And so when all of this was going on, somehow a- an enemy that you could not see, which is fear, a real enemy, got a hold of me, and I, I would spend... Uh, I spent a few nights in dread, laying in the bed, just absolutely in fear of somebody coming in the house. And um, I could hear them. I could hear them fiddling with the gate to go into the backyard. 
and Jimmy in the door, the backsliding door, and coming in in my house and coming in the coming down the hallway and coming into my I played it over and over and over and over in my head until I would just lay still in bed and just sweat. Has anybody ever been so scared that you sweat? Okay, well so anyway, anyway I sweat. That's a so anyway. I was laying there so scared, and I, th I was thinking, I need to go get that gun in the closet. But I didn't. I just laid there thinking about go getting, uh, going to go get it. And then I played the scenario in my head. I would just have the gun, uh, you know, uh, right, right beside me. And if somebody did come in my bedroom, then I, I could picture myself you know, doing this. And then the next picture I had is that they'd take the gun away from me and shoot me. Okay, I was picturing all of that, okay? And I, and back in those days, I had a waterbed. Who in here had a waterbed? Remember the waterbed days? Oh, yeah. So I would picture myself getting shot in my own waterbed, and it would m mess the bed up. And so then I'd get up to that in the scenario in my head, and, I'd, and then it would start all over again. And I thought, scrap the gun. Forget the gun. I'd just get a hanger. I could work better with a hanger than I could with a gun. <laughs> I didn't do that either. Did, never, never did that. You know what I ended up doing? Ended up getting out of bed and using a weapon that works against fear. Hangers and guns don't. But there is a weapon that does work against the enemy. And so today we're going to talk about serious weapons because not all the enemies that we have to deal with are seen. The Bible even says, and we're going to look at the scripture together, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now let's look into 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. We'll, see, we'll read this verse in the Passion Translation. It says, For although we live in the, the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation. That's, that's psychological also weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. Verse 6 in, in the Passion Translation actually calls these weapons dynamic weaponry. Dynamic weaponry. Now, why in the world would the Bible talk to us about weapons if Christianity is just a club for us to get together, for us just to uh, tell wonderful stories about and, and, and also um, things that will help us just to live happier and health and, and, you know, a, a more gentler and a wonderful lifestyle? Why would the Bible be wasting verses and pages using these examples of weaponry and also armies, armor. Why is that in there? Did God just...
kind of just sprinkle it in there to kind of keep our attention? Or are there weapons because life necessitates or requires weapons? Could it be? The reason why the Bible would talk to believers like you and I, not just pastors, believers about weapons. It's not for just something to, to collect in a, in a cabinet. It's for use, for survival. And so we're going to look today about serious weapons because they are required. I'd like you to read, or I'd like to read a quote uh, Tony and I had the privilege for many years to help um, and to work along beside a minister that is in heaven now. We had a great deal of respect for him and his walk in God, uh, Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen, and he quoted this, or he said this. He said, I am more and more convinced when he was saying it, he actually went on and on. He was saying, over the years, have become even more convinced, even more convinced that unless we have power to meet the onslaughts of Satan in these last days, we're going under in defeat. Now, if you knew Brother Hagin, he's very positive. This is true. He commented on that. He said, but we know that the word of God says we know that we are going to walk in victory. But then he goes ahead and continues. He said, but if we don't know how to implement or take victory over Satan, who is powerful and so crafty and cunning in his movements, unless we know how to take power over him, then we're going to be left stranded both spiritually and and physically. Some believers aren't really even aware that they have an enemy. An enemy might be somebody, the worst of their enemies might be a co-worker that's talking bad about them at work or a family member that's stabbed them in the back and betrayed them. That's the worst enemy they know of. A believer that does not realize that there is actually a spiritual enemy that despises them and is dedicated to stealing, killing, and destroying is already on the back foot. So there's scripture in the Bible to help us to know that there really is an enemy and that there are weapons that we use against him. Ephesians, the fourth chapter in verse 11, gives a list of ministry gifts that were given when Jesus ascended into heaven. Gifts came from God, the Father, and their apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And... And the purpose that they are given to the church is to help believers know how to, to live life victoriously. 
and to do the, the work of the ministry and the purpose that they're alive with. These ministers will stand before the head of the church whether they taught you how to use your weapons. Think about it. If Australia sent her young men and young women into war and all that they did before they went to, to, to into like Afghanistan or wherever people are being sent in this day, all they did in basic training and all they did in the army was to organize parties and events and fun things and good chats. And they send these people to war. They don't even know what in the world is this piece of equipment in their hand. It would be completely inept of the military in any country that would deprive the people that are, are in combat of good training to know how to use their weapons. God has given ministry to the body of Christ to not only just be a blessing and tell them what their blessings are, but to help you to know how to live, how to triumph. Because every one of us in some area of our life is going to be confronted with a real enemy. So we're going to look today at some serious weaponry, and we're going to hone in on one in particular. Zechariah says, not by might, not by power, but what? By my spirit. And so we're not just looking at weaponry that you use your own muscle with and your own ability with. We're looking at weaponry that is power-packed by the Spirit of God. Now, we're going to look at the believer's arsenal. And I looked at the word arsenal in the dictionary. There's a few uh, definitions, but it is a collection uh, or supply of weapons and munitions. And I'm saying believers. I'm not saying the pastors or the minister that you listen to on podcasts. I'm saying every single believer has these weapons. You need to know that you do, and you need to also know how to use them. Let's just run through them, the name. Okay, we just got through worshiping the name, but do you know what? It is a weapon. It releases, those are wonderful songs, but I've seen tumors disappear at the sound of his name. I've seen people healed and get out of wheelchairs at the sound of that name. There is power in the name of Jesus. It's a wonderful song, but it is a reality. How about the word? The word is a weapon. 
Paul said it to the whole church, not just the pastor of the church, the whole church. You have a sword. It is the word of God. Do you know how to use it? It's not enough that the word comes out of the pastor's mouth or somebody else. Do you know how to speak the word of God? What do you do in conflict? Do you complain? Do you curse? Or do you speak the word of God? The anointing of the Holy Spirit, it does break the yoke. Gifts of the Spirit, serious weaponry. Fruit of the Spirit, not so serious. No, serious weaponry. And I'm not talking about pelting the enemy with bananas and oranges and kiwi fruit. The way the Lord told me, he said, the fruit of the Spirit is secret weapons. It's happening and the devil doesn't even know it. It looks so nice. And then it... Love casts out fear. Praise God. And then you can go all the way down. So those are just some. We're not talking really about those. But before we get into the one that we're going to talk about, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, these weapons of our kingdom, these weapons that are mighty, there are some essential guidelines for using these weapons. And the first essential guideline is humility. Humility? What in the world does that have to do with using weapons? Well, it won't be anything that you see. It won't be anything that you see maybe on, you know, a war movie or on a revenge movie or something. But humility, just like what came out in that word, that exhortation today positions somebody under the hand of God. Once you're there, <laughs> once you're under the hand of God, you're under his authority. Where are weapons that we just listed here? They don't function out of anger or pride or arrogance. They function under submission to God. So humility that expresses itself in trust and devotion to God and dedication to receiving the love of God and giving the love of God. People that are, if there's any addiction in their life, they're addicted to the presence of God. They have to be with him and draw from him. And then they give that. But then the second essential seems like a contrasting and a conflicting one. The first one is humility that expresses itself that way. The second one is boldness. Seems like humility is one thing and, and boldness is the opposite. True Holy Spirit inspired boldness 
can never be experienced outside of humility and being under the hand of God. But once you're there, there is something that rises up on the inside of you that you're not afraid of anything. Boldness. It comes through believing, and believing comes, you can't believe unless you hear. You have to know truth, but once you know truth, it makes you resolute, and you humble yourself to that truth, and you, you can become bold with it. And also an awareness of being right with God. Boldness comes from that. If you know everything's square here, you're not always walking on eggs wondering what everybody else thinks about you and how everyone else thinks and yeah, 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 yeah. Once you know that you're right this way, you walk with confidence, not arrogance. You walk with boldness and you don't apologize and you don't try to legitimize and you don't try to, to defend. You don't try to negotiate with the devil. You're in a position to command and use your weapons. So humility and boldness. Now let's look at the weapon that we're going to look at today. And that weapon is the blood. The blood. Uh, since uh, COVID, you know, we've been doing communion on a, on a weekly basis, which, I don't know, how, how about you? Are we liking taking communion every week? I, I think it's really enriched my life. It's really enriched. Um, I've, I've just liked it so much. I, I just like to take it every day. There's some days I've missed, but I, I, I love actually the communion with the Lord that taking the, the Lord's Supper gives opportunity for. When we take it, there's usually a, a little bit of explanation, and it commonly has to do with forgiveness. When we're taking the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves that we are forgiven because that's primary with uh, keeping things this way. So when we're taking communion, which we're going to take in a, in a few minutes, when we're taking communion, it's not casual. It actually is essential to using your weapons in the right way. And qualifying you and putting you in a position to use your weapons. Because, I'll tell you this, the forgiveness of sin being so essential. A sin consciousness, uh, uh, this knocking thing of being under condemnation or shame because of something you've done wrong or something that has been done wrong to you. That sin consciousness is to you what kryptonite is to Superman. It absolutely drains you of boldness. You are a child, God. God is for you, so who can be against you? But you won't act like it if you're under condemnation. 
you'll be apologetic, you'll be, you'll be accepting, you'll be receiving anything the devil lamb blasts you with. You think, I got it coming, I got it coming, I got it coming. But when you know everything is right this way, you stand up and you start saying, no, no. Not because you have earned your right for blessing, but because he has provided it with what he has done for us. So the blood actually has a lot more than just forgiveness in it, a lot more. But we're, uh, we're going to just hone in and just look at, l at a little bit today because this serious weapon is against the devil and against his devices. In Revelation 12 and verse 10, it says, Then I heard a triumphant voice in heaven proclaiming, Now salvation and power are set in place, and the kingdom reign of our God and the ruling authority of his anointed one are established. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who relentlessly accuse them day and night before our God has now been defeated, cast out once and for all. Now, Jenny uh, talked a, a couple weeks ago about that prophetic eye, those prophetic mountains, the coming of the Lord first and then the second one. And then beyond the second coming of the Lord is what is called the millennial reign where the devil is literally bound for a thousand years and does not do any work on the earth. Can you imagine such a time and place? Jesus will rule the earth and the devil will be no problem. We're headed that direction. We're not there yet, but I want you to see this. They conquered him completely. How? Through the blood of the lamb. Well, the blood then, the blood of the lamb is not just, just something then for our worship and our devotion and our gratefulness to him and is not just something personal. It is actually a weapon that enables uh, chains to be broken and for us to conquer the enemy. And the powerful word of his or slash their testimony, they triumphed because they did not love or cling to their own lives, even when faced with death. That's a powerful thing. We won't even comment on it, but that's a powerful statement. Now, God prepared a body then for a segment of the redemptive plan for mankind, if, you can, if you're looking at that, ultimately bringing him back to who and where man was originally intended to be. And that body became the, it became the container for the blood. The body contained the blood. So here you have your little packet and we'll be having communion in a little bit. But um, Kevin, could you please help me with this? Could you come up? Um, because we need an example of a, of a body who um, is representing God. Hallelujah. So the Bible says in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, that God prepared for himself a body. He needed a body to accomplish the work of redemption. See, we're on the other, other side of it. We look back to it. It's all been done. But it had to be prepared. 
and it took him thousands of years in the preparation of coming right up to the just the right time and in the fullness of time Jesus was born of a woman and this body then is so important because inside this body it contains the blood Jesus body and blood was a representation of his father and his earthly mother so in this body we have divine and we have humanity we have incarnation we have God in a human body amazing now in his body Jesus identified with man because he before was just the Word of God but in his body he identified with human humanity with man he's a man and yet he is divine in his body Jesus identified with man and then ultimately their sin man's sin and weakness etc and it was in this body that he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities so I had David help this morning, David Sweet. Could you do this? Because it says in John, the first chapter, that he was made flesh and he dwelt in the synagogue all of his life to stay away from the evil people so that he could be holy and distance himself from anything that would defile him. No. The Bible says that he became flesh and he dwelt where? among us so just walk down that aisle and then come back up this one so in Jesus's life God purposefully had him dwell and walk among us and the reason why is that people could see him but not only people could see him he could see people he saw people crying he saw people fighting and then if you could come back up here it, he saw people die he saw human suffering and on purpose he was exposed to all of it and it he was touched with it not only that but he was exposed to every kind of temptation every single thing that has ever tempted you tempted him and it tried to move him and tried to move him why because if he compromised and responded to that temptation it would defile the blood what about the blood the blood is the price of our salvation it couldn't be it couldn't be any uh, like any other kind of blood because no other human blood could redeem other human ever all of us were damned we needed somebody with pure blood and so his whole life was filled with events with encounter but he never ever sinned and his blood was completely uncontaminated and undefiled his whole life and then Kevin can you just stay up here for just a little bit more all his life until finally 
until finally, in his body, Jesus identified with man and ultimately his sin. Now, what happened here? If you can just stay here for just a little bit. When his blood came forth, he was able to take that blood when he raised from the dead. And the Bible says in Hebrews, the ninth chapter and verse 12, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. So when he raised from the dead, he raised to the earth. And remember, he was in the garden and Mary's, he, Mary was there weeping for him. And he said, Mary. And he re she recognized his voice. She said, Rabboni. And then he said, for the first time, don't touch me. Jesus had never said, don't touch me. But he did then. Why? Because he was en route to take his the price for our redemption to the mercy seat of which we just got through reading. And he put it in the holy, the most holy place in heaven to secure an eternal redemption. Later on then, in Luke the 24th chapter, in verse 39, he told his disciples, touch me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bone. Touch me. And he ate with them, cooked, ate with them, and then walked through a wall. Praise the Lord, I want to do that part. Won't that be fun? Now, Colossians, the first chapter. Go ahead and put this up. I want you to see what has happened here. This whole purpose and plan that has originated and come from God, Jesus being sent by the Father. It says, and by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. There is nothing, there is no rehabilitation, there is no counseling, there is nothing that can restore innocence. They can help you deal with the load of what has happened or what you have done and the trauma that's ever happened in your life. But the blood of Jesus has the ability to restore innocence and to restore what was broken and what was stolen and taken has the ability to restore it again to innocence and to God's original intent. Are you thankful for the power of the blood? There are people that are so broken for things that they have seen, things they have heard, things that they have endured in their body they are so shredded by sin that there is no hope for them in their own natural thinking to ever be normal again. Jesus has, with his blood, provided a route to total wholeness. That's why we celebrate the blood. That's why we need to know about it. Because if you don't know about it, these things activate through our trust in our believing in him. Now, Jesus identified with humans 
You can put that up. Jesus identified with humans, and ultimately God laid on his body everything, everything that was wrong with man and the wrong that man had done. This happened during Jesus' torture. It was this torture that broke the skin and released the blood that forgave those sins and brought us back to God. If you can just come up for just a little bit closer and turn around. I want you just to see, because in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 6, it says, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. What people saw the day that Jesus was tortured was the Roman soldiers laying stripes on Jesus' body. But what God saw was that with every blow, things that you and I have done wrong, inabilities, dysfunctions, weaknesses, were all laid on him. And when it was laid on him, his skin was broken. And the price for that very thing came out. Amazing. More and more laid upon him, laid upon him in different ways until all of his blood, all of the price for redemption came out, but the way it came out was through the breaking of his body. So when we say his body was broken and we break this little thing, it's not casual. It's not just routine. His body literally was broken, but in the breaking, the blood came. I want you to get, and thank you. I'd like you just to take your communion cup right now, or not, uh, the bread, please, if you take the bread, which represents his, his precious body. Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you for saying yes to the Father. Yes to everything that was laid upon you, not just the physical beating, but every single vile thing of broken humanity. Thank you so much for saying yes to it, and you received it and gave us the divine right to say no. Gave us the divine right to say no to those things because you said yes to them. Not only for us individually, but we thank you for the people that we love, people in our families that have been bound by things, shackled by things, haunted by things. We're so thankful that those very things have been put upon the back of Jesus, on the body of Jesus, on his precious person, so we don't have to have it on ours. Can we take this together? And dear Lord Jesus, thank you for safely carrying in your body what was more valuable than silver or gold? All the silver and gold in all the world could not even compare to the value of the price of what 
coursed through your body on every beat of your heart. That precious blood was the payment for our redemption. Thank you for keeping it safe in the way you lived, the way you talked, the way you acted, and the way you reacted. Thank you for that precious blood, and I believe in that blood, and I receive what that blood purchased for me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take I want to invite you the way you get good with a game, a video game, is through practice, through using it. The way you become skilled with the weapons of our warfare is through using them. You have to learn about them. Go ahead and put that up there. You have to learn about them. You have to believe it. Believe in them. Then you have to apply them. Do them. And the more you do them, the more proficient you are. And trust that in the work that it is working, once you've applied the blood, or any of those others. Trust that it's working because faith activates it and releases the power. Use communion. It's something that will give you an opportunity to hone that skill. I was thinking, we're going to go. I want to pray with you, and then we're going to go today. I was thinking about in between services, I was thinking about somebody in my life that you just know that if you're ever in a fight for your life, somebody that you know knows how to use their weapons, knows what weapons there are, and knows how to use them. I want to be that kind of person for my family and friends, don't you? I was thinking about my sister both of them really if we've ever been in a fight for our life and we've had we've had fight for our life but we won't get sympathy coming up from them by telling them whatever the conflict is I'm telling you what out come the weapons you just know somebody knows how to use the name knows how to use the word, knows how to use the anointing, the gifts of the spirit, fruit of the spirit, and knows how to use the blood. Let's stand up on our feet. Praise the Lord. Hi, darlings. Let's put up our hands to the blood of Jesus and let's just thank him. Thank you, Father, for giving us, for giving us mighty weapons, mighty weapons, mighty weapons. Help us in this week to utilize this weapon. Aki di bort fra asa keleche, isabalangulo dos keledeto, 
zibabatu enamatu ekidito ekidebe akologi ebalazulolosto and so as you begin to activate and use the knowledge that you have concerning these divine weapons you will begin to sense upon your tongue in your heart upon your hand the influence of the holy spirit that will take you beyond your own knowledge and your own ability and will enable you to move and speak and to respond and act by the power of the holy spirit so don't wait until you think you know more start now with what you know step out and step up and use the blood of jesus and you will find the holy spirit will activate you in ways you never thought hallelujah let's just thank him some divine and miraculous things are going to happen thank you lord divine and miraculous in jesus precious name amen if you would like more information or resources on this or other topics or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week please visit our website at brainer.org.au 